irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. The Panama Canal, in Spanish it's called the Canal de Panama, is a 77.1 kilometer or 48 mile ship canal in Panama that connects the Atlantic Ocean via the Caribbean Sea to the Pacific Ocean. The canal cuts across the Isthmus of Panama and is a key conduit for international maritime trade. There are locks at each end to lift the ships up to Gatun Lake, an artificial lake created to reduce the amount of excavation work required for the canal. It is 26 meters or 85 feet above sea level. The current locks are 33 and a half meters or 110 feet wide. A third, wider lane of locks is currently under construction and is due to open in the year 2016. France began work on the canal in 1881, but had to stop because of engineering problems and high mortality due to disease. The United States took over the project in 1904 and took a decade to complete the canal which was officially opened on August 15, 1914. One of the largest and most difficult engineering projects ever undertaken, the Panama Canal shortcut greatly reduced the time for ships to travel between the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans.
enabling them to avoid a lengthy, hazardous Cape Horn route around the southernmost tip of South America via the Drake Passage or the Strait of Magellan. The shorter, faster, and safer route to the U.S. West Coast and to nations in and around the Pacific Ocean allowed those places to become more integrated with the world economy. It takes between 20 and 30 hours to traverse the canal. The Panama Canal had its 100-year anniversary on August 15, 2014. During construction, ownership of the territory that is now the Panama Canal was first Colombian, then French, and then American. The United States continued to control the canal and the surrounding Panama Canal zone until the 1977 Torres-Carter Treaties provided the handover to Panama. After a period of joint American-Panamanian control, the canal was taken over by the Panamanian government in 1999 and is now managed and operated by the Panama Canal Authority, a Panamanian government agency. Annual traffic has risen from about 1,000 ships in 1914 when the canal opened to 14,702 vessels in the year 2008, the latter measuring a total of 309.6 million Panama Canal Universal Measurement System tons. By 2008, more than 815,000 vessels had passed through the canal over its lifetime. The largest ships that can transit the canal today are called Panamax. The American Society of Civil Engineers has named the Panama Canal one of the seven wonders of the modern world. The earliest mention of the canal across the Isthmus of Panama dates back to the year 1534 when Charles V, Holy Roman Emperor and King of Spain, ordered a survey for a route through the Americas that would ease the voyage for ships traveling between Spain and Peru. Such a route would have given the Spanish a military advantage over the Portuguese. In 1788, Thomas Jefferson suggested that the Spanish should create it, since it would be a less treacherous route than going around the southern tip of South America, which tropical ocean currents would, wi would naturally widen thereafter. 
during an expedition from 1788 to 1793, Alessandro Malspina outlined plans for its construction. Given the strategic location of Panama and the potential offered by its narrow isthmus separating two great oceans, other trade links in the area were attempted over the years. The ill-fated Darien scheme was launched by the Kingdom of Scotland in 1698 to set up an overland trade route. Generally inhospitable conditions thwarted the effort and it was abandoned in April 1700, just two years later. In 1849, the discovery of gold in California created great interest in a crossing between the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans. The Panama Railway was built to cross the Isthmus and opened in 1855. This overland link became a vital piece of Western Hemisphere infrastructure, greatly facilitating trade and largely determining the later canal route. An all-water route between the oceans was still seen as an ideal solution, and in 1855, William Kenish, a Manx-born engineer working for the United States government, surveyed the isthmus and issued a report on a route for the proposed Panama Canal. His report was published in a book entitled The Practicality and Importance of a Ship Canal to Connect the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. In 1877, Armand Recluse, an officer with the French Navy, and Lucine Napoleon Bonaparte Wise, two engineers, surveyed the route and published a French proposal for a canal. French success in building the Suez Canal, while a lengthy project, encouraged planning for one to cross the Isthmus. The French attempted construction between the years 1881 and 1894. The first attempt to construct a canal through what was then Colombia's province of Panama began on January 1, 1881. The project, designed as a sea-level canal, which means a canal without locks, was under the leadership of Ferdinand de Lesseps, builder of the now infamous and famous Suez Canal, with substantial financing and support from the city of Paris. The cost and difficulty of construction in the rain-soaked tropics through unstable mountains exceeded expectations, 
and the French effort eventually went bankrupt after reportedly spending $287 million and losing an estimated 22,000 lives to accidents and disease. The French rushed to begin work with insufficient prior study of the geology and hydrology of the region. And the men who started and directed the project had little or no engineering training or experience. Canals cut through mountains had to continually be widened and their slopes reduced to minimize landslides into the canal. Steam shovels had been invented, but were still primitive. Other mechanical and electrical equipment was limited in its capabilities, and steel equipment rusted rapidly in the Panamanian climate. Health risks posed to the workers in the mosquito-infested Panamanian jungle, principally malaria and yellow fever, cost thousands of lives. Public health measures were ineffective because the role of the mosquito as a disease vector was then unknown. Conditions were downplayed in France to avoid recruitment problems but the high mortality rate made it difficult to maintain an experienced workforce. Beyond the health and technical difficulties, financial mismanagement and good old political corruption also contributed to the French failure. By 1889, the company was bankrupt and work was suspended on May 15th of that year. In the ensuing scandal, known as the Panama Affair, various of those deemed responsible were prosecuted. Charles de Lesseps, son of Ferdinand de Lesseps, was found guilty of misappropriations of funds and sentenced to five years imprisonment though this was later overturned. In 1984, excuse me, in 1894, a second French company, the Campagne Nouvelle de Canal de Panama, was created to take over the project. A minimal workforce of a few thousand people was employed primarily to comply with the terms of the Colombian Panama Canal concession to run the Panama Railroad and to maintain the existing excavation and equipment in saleable conditions. The company sought a buyer for these assets with an asking price of $109 million.
At this time, the President and the Senate of the United States were interested in establishing a canal across the Isthmus, with some favoring a route across Nicaragua, and others advocating the purchase of the French interests in Panama. In June 1902, the U.S. Senate voted in favor of pursuing the Panamanian option, provided the necessary rights could be obtained. On January 22, 1903, the Hay-Herian Treaty was signed by the United States Secretary of State John M. Hay and Dr. Thomas Herey of Columbia. It would have granted the United States a renewable lease in perpetuity from Colombia on the land proposed for the canal. This is sometimes misinterpreted as the 99-year lease because of a misleading wording included in Article 22 of the agreement. The treaty was ratified by the U.S. Senate on March 14, 1903, but the Senate of Colombia did not ratify it. Philip Banu Varia, chief engineer and significant shareholder of the French Canal Company, told President Theodore Roosevelt and Hay of a possible revolt by Panamanian rebels who aimed to separate from Colombia and that it hoped that the United States would support the rebels with U.S. troops and money. Roosevelt changed tactics, promising support for the separation of Panama for Colombia. On November 2, 1903, U.S. warships blocked sea lanes for possible Colombian troop movements en route to put down a rebellion. Panama declared independence the next day. That next day, November 3, 1903, the United States quickly recognized the new nation of Panama. On November 6, 1903, Philip Banu Varia, Panama's ambassador to the United States, signed the Hay-Banu Varia Treaty, granting rights to the United States to build and indefinitely administer the Panama Canal Zone and its defenses. Although Banavaria was serving as Panama's ambassador, he was a French citizen and not officially authorized to sign treaties on behalf of Panama without Panamanian review. This would later become a contentious diplomatic issue between Colombia, Panama, and the United States. President Roosevelt infamously stated that, I took the isthmus, I started the canal, 
And then I left Congress not to debate the canal, but to bait me. Several parties of the United States opposed this act of war on Colombia. The New York Times called the support given by the United States to Mr. Banu Varia an act of sword conquest. The New Evening Post called it a vulgar and mercenary venture. More recently, historians labeled it as one of the greatest blunders of American foreign policy. It is often cited as the classic example of U.S. gunboat diplomacy in Latin America and the best illustration of what Roosevelt meant by the old adage, speak softly and carry a big stick and you will go far. After the revolution in 1903, the Republic of Panama became a U.S. protectorate until the year 1939. In 1904, the United States bought the French equipment and excavations, including the Panama Railroad, for a mere 40 million, of which 30 million was related to excavations completed primarily in the Guillard Cut, which was valued at about $1 per cubic yard. The United States also paid the new country of Panama $10 million, plus a quarter of a million dollars more each year. In 1921, the United States paid Colombia $10 million plus a quarter of a million dollars per year for several years. In return, Colombia recognized Panama under the terms of the Thomas Ureta Treaty. U.S. construction lasted from 1904 to 1914. The U.S. formally took control of the canal property on May 4, 1904, inheriting from the French a depleted workforce and a vast jumble of buildings, infrastructures, and equipment, much of it in poor conditions. A U.S. government commission, the Isthmus of Canal Commission, or the ICC, was established to oversee construction and was given control of the Panama Canal Zone, over which the United States exercised sovereignty. The commission reportedly directly to Secretary of War William Howard Taft and was directed to avoid the inefficiency and corruption that had plagued the French 15 years earlier. On May 6, 1904, President Theodore Roosevelt appointed John Findlay Wallace, formerly Chief Engineer 
and finally general manager of the Illinois Central Railroad as chief engineer of the Panama Canal project. Overwhelmed by the disease-plagued country and forced to use often dilapidated French infrastructure and equipment, as well as being frustrated by the overly bureaucratic ICC, Wallace resigned abruptly in June 1905. He was succeeded by John Frank Stevens, a self-educated engineer who had built the Great Northern Railroad. Stevens was not a member of the ICC. He increasingly viewed its bureaucracy as a serious hindrance and ended up bypassing the commission and sending requests and demands directly to the Roosevelt administration in Washington. One of Stevens' primary achievements in Panama was in building and rebuilding the housing, cafeterias, hotels, water system, repair shops, warehouses, and other infrastructure needed by the thousands of incoming workers. Stevenson began the recruitment effort to entice thousands of workers from the United States and other areas to come to the canal zone to work and tried to provide accommodations in which the incoming workers could work and live in reasonable safety and comfort. In 1905, a U.S. engineering panel was commissioned to review the canal design, which still had not been finalized. It recommended to President Roosevelt a sea-level canal, as had been attempted by the French. However, more extensive engineering studies favored a canal system using a lock system to raise and lower ships from a large reservoir 85 feet or 26 meters above sea level. This would create both the largest dam, Gatton Dam, and the largest man-made lake, Gatton Lake, in the world at that time. The water to refill the locks would be taken from Gatton Lake by opening and closing enormous gates and valves and letting gravity propel the water from the lake. Gatton Lake would connect to the Pacific through the mountains that the Gillard cut. Stevens successfully argued the case against the sea level canal, convincing Roosevelt of the necessity and the feasibility of the alternative scheme. Construction of the canal with locks required the excavation of more than an additional 170 million cubic yards of material over and above 
the 30 million cubic yards excavated by the French. As quickly as possible, the Americans replaced or upgraded the old, unusable French equipment with new construction equipment that was designed for a much larger and faster scale of work. About 102 new, large, railroad-mounted steam shovels were purchased and brought in from the United States. These were joined by enormous steam-powered cranes, giant hydraulic rock crushers, cement mixers, dredges, and pneumatic drills, power drills, nearly all of which was manufactured by new, extensive machine-building technology developed and built in the United States. Even the railroad had to be comprehensively upgraded with heavy-duty, double-track rails over most of the line to accommodate the new rolling stock. In many places, the new Godham Lake flooded over the original rail line and a new line had to be constructed above the lake's water line. Colonel William C. Georgius was appointed Chief Sanitation Officer of the Canal Construction Project in 1904. Gorgas implemented a range of measures to minimize the spread of deadly diseases, particularly malaria and yellow fever, which had recently been shown to be mosquito-borne following the work of Dr. Carlos Finley and Dr. Walter Reed. There was investment in extensive sanitation projects, including city water systems, fumigation of buildings, spraying of insect breeding areas with oil and larvicide, installation of mosquito netting and window screens, and the elimination of stagnant water. After two years of extensive work, the mosquito spread diseases were nearly eliminated. Nevertheless, even all this effort, about 5,600 workers died of disease and accidents during the U.S. construction phase of the canal. In 1907, Stevens resigned as chief engineer. His replacement, appointed by President Theodore Roosevelt, was U.S. Army Major George Washington Gothels of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, a strong United States Military Academy-trained leader and civil engineer. Gothels would direct the work in Panama to a successful conclusion. Gothels divided the engineering and excavation work into three divisions, Atlantic, Central, and Pacific. In 
The Atlantic Division, under Major William L. Sibrett, was responsible for the construction of the massive breakwater at the entrance to Lyman Bay. The Gatun Locks and their 5.6-kilometer approach channel and the immense Gatun Dam. The Pacific Division, under Sidney B. Williamson, the only civilian member of this high-level team, was similarly responsible for the Pacific 4.8-kilometer breakwater in Panama Bay. The approach channel to the locks and the Miraflores and Pedro Miguel locks and their associated dams and reservoirs. The Central Division, under Major David Dubois Gallard of the United States Army Corps of Engineers, was assigned one of the most difficult parts. Excavating the Culebra Cut through the Continental Divide to connect Gatun Lake to the Pacific Panama Canal locks. The building of the canal was completed in 1914, 401 years after Panama was first crossed by Vasco de Balboa. The United States spent almost $375 million. That would roughly be equivalent to $8.6 billion today to finish the project. This was by far the largest American engineering project of that or any previous era. The canal was formally opened on August 15, 1914 with the passage of the cargo ship SS Ancon. The opening of the Panama Canal in 1914 caused a severe drop in traffic along Chilean ports due to shifts in the maritime trade routes. By the 1930s, it was seen that water supply would be an issue for the canal. This prompted the building of the Madden Dam across the Charges River above Gatun Lake. The dam, completed in 1935, created Madden Lake, which provides additional water storage for the canal. In 1939, construction began on a further major improvement, a new set of locks for the canal large enough to carry the larger warships that the United States was building at the time and had planned to continue building. 
the work proceeded for several years and significant excavation was carried out on the new approach channels, but the project was canceled after World War II. After World War II, U.S. control of the canal and the canal zone surrounding it became contentious. Relations between Panama and the United States became increasingly tense. Many Panamanians felt that the canal zone rightfully belonged to Panama. Student protests were met by the fencing in of the zone and an increased military presence there. Demands for the United States to hand over the canal to Panama increased after the Suez Crisis in 1956, when the U.S. used financial and diplomatic pressures to force France and the U.K. to abandon their attempt to retake control of the Suez Canal, previously nationalized by the Nasser regime in Egypt. Unrest culminated in riots on Martyrs' Day, January 9, 1964, when about 20 Panamanians and five U.S. soldiers were killed. A decade later, in 1974, negotiations toward a settlement began and resulted in the Torres-Carter Treaties. On September 7, 1977, the treaty was signed by President of the United States Jimmy Carter and Omar Toros, de facto leader of Panama. This mobilized the process of granting the Panamanians free control of the canal so as long as Panama signed that treaty guaranteeing the permanent neutrality of the canal. The treaty led to full Panamanian control effective at noon on December 31, 1999, and the Panama Canal Authority assumed command of the waterway. The Panama Canal remains one of the chief revenue sources for the country of Panama. Before this handover, however, the government of Panama held an international bid to negotiate a 25-year contract for operation of the container shipping ports located at the canal's Atlantic and Pacific outlets. The contract was not affiliated with the Panama Canal operations and was won by a firm, Hutchison Wampoa, a Hong Kong-based shipping interest owned by Li Kai-shing. While globally, the Atlantic Ocean is east of the Isthmus and the Pacific to the west, the general direction of the canal passage from the Atlantic to the Pacific is from northwest to southeast. This is because of a local anomaly in the shape of the isthmus at the point the canal occupies. The Bridge of the Americas, 
or in Spanish, Puente de las Americas, at the Pacific side, is about a third of a degree east of the Cologne end of the Atlantic side. Still, in formal nautical communication, the simplified direction southbound and northbound are used. The size of the locks determines the maximum size of ship that can pass through them. Because of the importance of the canal to international trade, many ships are built to the maximum size allowed. These are known as Panamax vessels. A Panamax cargo ship typically has a dead weight tonnage of 65 to 80,000 tons, but its actual cargo is restricted to about 52,000 tons because of the 12.6 meter or 41.2 foot draft restrictions within the canal. The longest ship ever to transit the canal was the San Juan Prospector, an ore bulk oil carrier that is 296.57 meters long or 973 feet long with a beam of 32 meters or 106 feet. Initially, the Loxacatoon had been designed to be 28.5 meters or 94 feet wide. In 1908, the United States Navy requested that the width be increased to at least 36 meters or 118 feet wide, which would allow the passage of U.S. naval ships. Eventually, a compromise was made and the locks were 33 and a half meters or 110 feet wide. Each lock is 320 meters or 1,050 feet long, with the walls ranging in thickness from 15 meters or 49 feet at the base to 3 meters and 10 feet at the top. The central wall between the parallel locks at Gatun is 18 meters or 59 feet thick and over 24 meters or 79 feet high. The steel lock gates measured to an average of 2 meters or 6.5 feet thick 19 meters or 64 feet wide, and 20 meters or 66 feet high. It is the size of the locks, specifically the Pedro Miguel locks, along with the height of the bridge of the Americas at Balboa, that determine the Panamax metric and limit the size of ships that may use the canal. In 2006, a third set of locks project will create larger locks, allowing bigger ships to transit through deeper and wider channels. The allowed dimensions of ships will increase 
by 25% in length, 51% in beam, and 26% in draft, as defined by the new Panamax metrics. Tolls for the canal are set by the Panama Canal Authority and are based on vessel type, size, and the type of cargo carried. For container ships, the toll is assessed on the ship's capacity expressed in 20-foot equivalent units, or TEUs. One TEU being the size of a standard intermodal shipping container. Effective May 1st, 2009, this toll is $72 US per TEU. The Panamax container ship may carry up to 4,400 TEU. The toll is calculated differently for passenger ships and for container ships carrying no cargo, or as they're known as, in ballast. As of May 1st, 2009, the ballast rate is $57.60 per TEU, a bit of a discount. Passenger vessels in excess of 30,000 tons known popularly as cruise ships, pay a rate based on the number of berths, that is, the number of passengers, that can be accommodated in permanent beds. The per-berth charge is currently $92 for an unoccupied berth and $115 for an occupied berth. Starting in 2007, this fee has greatly increased the tolls for such ships. Passenger vessels of less than 30,000 tons, or less than 33 tons per passenger, are charged according to the same per-ton schedule as our freighters. Most other types of vessels pay a toll per net ton in which one ton is actually a volume of 100 cubic feet. Believe it or not, the calculation of tonnage for a commercial vessel is quite complex. As of the fiscal year 2008, this toll is $3.90 per ton U.S. for the first 10,000 tons, $3.19 per ton U.S., for the next 10,000 tons and $3.82 per ton for the next 10,000 tons and it goes on and on and on. Morgan Adams of Los Angeles, California holds the distinction of paying the first toll received by the United States government for the use of the Panama Canal by a pleasure boat. His boat, Larasada, passed through the zone on August 14, 1914, 
The crossing occurred during a 6,000-mile sea voyage from Jacksonville, Florida to Los Angeles in the year 1914. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.